Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger. you've crossed it's immoral and it's illegal jim come on i don't need a lecture on ethics i'm not talking about ethics i'm talking about morals well what's the difference it's from election 1999 just felt it was relevant don't know why haha <laughs> welcome back to the show it's me no larger fuck i don't know how to start these shows ever but we're back we're doing it hope everyone's doing all right uh hope everyone's doing good i got a uh got another sweetheart uh on the other end of this zoom call uh and i don't know how to start these shows and i just feel like every time it's like fuck what the fuck is he doing just introduce the guest so uh i'm just gonna get right to it because uh, we got a lot to talk about today and i don't want to fucking mince words okay but welcome back to my favorite podcast this is a podcast about people's favorite things i am noah marger my guest today is a writer an actor, and a director. You may remember him from such roles as the ringmaster in Waxwing, Ben in Greek Gossip, or quite possibly his many shorts, including No Time, Time Capsule, or Pump the Bucket. You can check out some of those and many more on the Short Club YouTube page. His newest film, which he wrote and directed, Carnivore, can be seen via private link, Right now, the year of our Lord, 2020, he's a really silly little guy. I'm glad he's here. Please welcome to the show, Ash Harold. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. <laughs> How are you? You know, <clears throat> I feel like we, you know, we just spoke. I'm, I'm doing, trying to do, <laughs> I'm just trying to suck less every day. But, you know, there are ups and downs in this uh, never-ending apocalypse that we're uh, enduring. Um, yes. Speaking of the never-ending apocalypse, uh, what's that mug say for the for the viewers um, at home? This is not my mug, but it says a okay. wise man once said, "Fuck this shit," and he lived happily ever after. Uh, Whoa! I, I made sure to keep a little bit of this espresso uh, handy just so I could. Yeah, make sure you get that on the mic. You know, just so whoever's listening, if they're like, you know, if they're if they're like, I hope no one's gonna slurp and swallow really close to my ears. Right. Well, surprise, bitch. Um, surprise bitch right yeah surprise motherfucker so here we are okay well yeah we did just talk for for at least almost 40 minutes right before we turn (laughs) on the mic so uh you know but i had i have to keep the illusion up that this we've just started we just started i've never met you before and this is like a brand new person to me so can you at least fucking help me with that yeah here we go uh, I do want to. I do want to say that I wasn't did you in wax I was Mormon. I what said Norman. Say? We just met, right? Your name's Norman. Yes, Norman. Nor- yes. Norman. You're margarine. Smash, right? Norman margarine. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in Waxwing, but I was in Wildfall. Fuck, that's right. I'm sorry. I, I, for, I got those mixed up. You're right. You're you don't right. have to answer to me. Carl Youngquist is gonna come for you, man. Yeah. Well, um, listen. Yeah, <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen. Listen. I, I, I can hear him. He's fucking. But I saw Waxwing, and that's why I approached Carl and was like, "Look, man, I don't know what I have to do for a part in one of your movies, but I'll do it." 
but um, I'll do it. What a great short. What a you know, great director, what, that man. What did you do? Have to do to get the part in that. You said you know, I'll do anything. I, I, had, to, did you I do? had to. I sat there. I saw the wax wing, and I was like, "Wow!" Wow. So I talked to I think Ryan Treffis and was like, "Do you know this guy?" Um, I googled, or I didn't Google <laughs> Facebook, maybe or, or Instagram or something, and. Uh, I knew Carl's face, so I when I was on campus, I saw him standing there one time. I was like, "Look, man, you don't know me, but I know that you're, you know, killing it." And yeah. uh, I'd love to, you know, if there's any time I could be, um, I could collaborate with you. I, you know, I'd love that. So, sure. um, and that, you know, I think a, a huge, huge benefit of going to, you know, film school or really just any place that you go, just meet who's there and network. You know, I think that a big part of you know, getting the role or the, you know, uh, job that you want is just asking for it. So that was asking a, for a, what you want. Yeah. Make the, make the sale, ask for the sale. So, um, that was just a, you know, a great honor and a great experience. Worked with Nima and all those, uh, cats. Um, yes, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah. There's literally a wolf in that movie and that you yeah. interacted with a little bit. I didn't bit. even get to like? see the wolf. I didn't even get oh. to see the wolf, which is a bummer, but you know, damn. What would like you have man. said to the wolf? Uh, let go of me. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Please. Yeah. <laughs> now. <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stupid. And call the wolf stupid. Be like, hey, come here, stupid. You fucking idiot. Dumbass. Uncalled for. Said Whoa. the wolf. Yeah. The wolf said that? Yeah. Okay. Because I called him uh, stupid. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so, Ash, yeah. talking about something very near and dear to your heart today that you had complete control over what we were talking about. And I'm saying that with a gun pointed to my head. It's like that meme where it's like that meme where it's like something talking about Bo Burnham today. Always, always were or whatever. (laughs) Always were. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we're talking about, they're talking about Bo Burnham. Yeah. Always was. Yeah. Forget it. (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) That's that's the meme. (laughs) I I hate it. I hate that. Well, before we dive into that, I do have a little bit of a question for you. Uh, Bo doesn't do. Sorry, I'm fucking sorry. Can I at least just ask you this fucking yeah, question? Yeah, just go dude? with your question. Okay, great. Ba 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 ba. It's Noe's question. Bo's not really known for doing parody songs as much as he is just comedy songs. But I am curious: is there a parody song that you hold near and dear to your heart? Wow. Um, I know. I, mean, I, I hit you with the fucking meatball like right away. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to parody hit parody song. Stuff. Um, I mean, like, uh, what is it? White and nerdy. Yes. I think that that's probably the one that I, I heard the most as a child. I, I wasn't always, I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of parody, you know, okay. I, I, but I think white and nerdy is the one that I knew before the actual song, you know, weird Al, And I think that I, I knew that version first. Okay. Sure. So, you know, you know, and then. I think that's part of the shock of of knowing a song and then hearing the parody is like this isn't this isn't exactly right you know but all the Star Wars ones too um, sure he he did I, I think a couple right he at least did I one. know for so sure I'm gonna lock down on yeah. that <laughs> well that's <laughs> actually that's one of mine is the saga begins right where he's mm-hmm. like a long long time ago yes that yeah bullshit. that that's yeah. a great one that's solid that, um, do you know the one that's uh, the parody of uh, "Complicated" by Avril Lavigne called a complicated song. Is that ring any ring any bells? I don't think so. I know that I know the song. Avril Lavigne song. Let me tell you, Avril Lavigne is she she slaps. Um, she's the best. 
you know. Uh, <laughs> she, so you can't. She's mo- standing right there next to you, watching you say that, right? Yeah, and she's happy because I'm speaking kindly <laughs> of her, as I always yeah, will. Right. Um, but also the the Amish song, right? I can't think of how it goes. Yeah, but I, oh, like churning. Yes, uh, yes, yes, dude. Churn butter once or twice. <laughs> Yeah, living in an Amish paradise. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's nailed it. it. <laughs> nailed you that. nailed it about uh, Weird Al. I appreciate that. I was just curious just because, like, you know, the guy we're going to be talking about, Bo, he's got some comedy songs. Didn't know if you were a Weird Al guy as well because when I at least think of comedy music, Weird Al is kind of the first place I go. So I didn't know if there was, like, pot we- calling the kettle black on that at all. You know, I, I mean, I, I have a, a a lot of history in theater, so I almost don't even attribute his music to comedy so much as like performance. You know, I mean, sure. words, words, words. You have the entirety of his stand up, like on the pillars on stage. You know, right. and it's I think part of what makes him so incredible is that it's all planned and it's all word for word what he's written and performed. And I think for that reason, it's like, it's so much greater than, you know, just a comedy song. It's like this one man show. I mean, I think that, and that we'll get into his evolution, but I think that that's a large part of his evolution is that kind of, um, the reverence of, of the written, what he has written, not just like going off the dome or, or doing something for a laugh. It's like all calculated, obviously in large part for laughs, but you know, there are certain songs like art is dead or God's perspective where, um, you know, it's, it's funny and it's entertaining, but there are parts of it that are kind of sobering or like a look at, at his actual, uh, feelings towards, uh, these really topical, um, issues or, or, you know, things in his life. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because I just, I wouldn't necessarily liken the two just because they sing, right? You know, but I I absolutely see the parallel. So I'm not totally mad at you. I'm just <laughs> disappointed. Just yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I'm just rightly pissed. Yeah, I actually um actually am not gonna do the podcast for real anymore. I'm actually very upset. Uh, well, thank you for thank you for that. You actually gave me a great segue there because got some questions for you here about Mr. Bo himself. And I just want to know, straight up, why did you pick this guy? You could have picked anybody or anything that you wanted to. And right. when you said Bo Burnham to me, like, this is who I want to talk about, I'm not going to say that it was, like, completely out of left field, knowing you. Like, I wasn't like, this is, like, totally out of left field. But I was surprised still. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that this was a person to Ash that, like, meant something or meant a lot. So why would you pick Bo? You know, it was – you, I, I had been begging you to be on here. Let me tell you, this is a, yes. this is a privilege. This is, this is great that I'm getting to do this with you. Um, but when you were like, all right, fine, fine, you know, get off my back. What do you want to talk about? I was like, well, right. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I wanted to talk about Donald Glover, but, um, cause I, I mean, Childish Gambino, I mean, I don't think it gets much better. Anything, you know, okay. like comedy, writing i mean just just the man the myth the legend i think that i i could talk about him for days but um i was talking to jackie you know jackie riley yeah. um and she reminded me because uh, I, I wanted to talk about somebody who wrote who directed and acted because i think that that's 
um, an interesting kind of combination that I'm, uh, you know, I'm just chipping the surface of right now, but that's, you know, a trajectory that, uh, is really appealing to me. Um, and I, when she brought up his name, I just got thrown back into this massive history that I have with this guy who really, really shaped my, um, my sense of humor in a really, really profound way to the point where I was playing words, words, words the other day. Um, and my mom was, was singing the words, you know, like I didn't even realize that she knew, but I mean, and that just goes to show you how much I played, not just the, the special, but the album. Sure. You know, cause I love to sing. I love to be, you know, performance based, but it was, I mean, it was more than that. It was like, um, I, I remember my first time seeing, uh, words, words, words. It was uh, at a sleepover, um, in eighth grade and <laughs> funny enough, eighth grade. Sure. sure. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, and my friend Anthony O'Reilly was like, oh yeah, like we were flipping channels and he was like, oh yeah, my, my brother likes this guy. And I was just blown away. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that you could be that well rehearsed. Sure. I didn't know that you could be in such like an obvious persona while it seemed so, you know, natural or organic, you know, and it was such a, you know, and, and rewatching words, words, words. I mean, there are some like racial jokes. There are some, there's some like some stuff now that I don't, I don't think that jokes that he would make now, but at the time, I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch SpongeBob growing up. And no wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait. What? What the fuck did you just say? I have had What's this exact on? reaction a lot. People are like, "Are you joking?" That's like what? the G. You know, that's like the religion, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, I have since watched it, and I and I really do appreciate it. But every time I turned it on, my parents would be like, "Turn off that garbage. It'll rot your brain." Damn. Yeah, it was a bummer. Um, and, and so I never really that- got that. That come from mom and dad being like, we don't want you to watch yeah. this. Yeah, I think that they like they just heard his laugh and they were like, "Fuck that, like, turn <laughs> okay, it sure. off." And I, I, you know, if you listen to his laugh in the first season, god awful. I mean, come sure. on. I'm glad that they kind of got a, you know. I mean, just like Homer Simpson's voice, like they, they right. really hit their stride. But um, and I, you know, I've I've always kind of ration rationalized like maybe I didn't miss out so much because I think I would have. I think it would have been a crutch to my my humor because I would have referenced the ever living shit out of that <laughs> everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I grew up with other people referencing it, and I didn't really get those references. But had I watched that show, I would have been an encyclopedia of references that I would just you know all of my jokes would be SpongeBob references. Sure. And to that point, when I found Bo Burnham. A lot of a lot of people my age had not seen it, and I would regurgitate those jokes, and a lot of people would just look at me in horror. Sure. Like, oh my god, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> sure, sure. But you know, but also it was like very, very fast, very witty. Uh, you know, like there's two types of people in this world. There are people who finish lists. Um, in in that in that kind of thing, you know, like those those little things that. <laughs> right. That you could kind of wear as a badge of this resonates with my personality in the same way that at that same time we were going on Facebook and liking every single page that had a funny name. Do you remember yes. that era? Of course, of course. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was like, 
you know, uh, rainbows that poop Skittles on top of giraffes or whatever. And you're like, ha random, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you go on later and use apps and they're like, these are their likes. And you're like, I don't know how to unlike that stuff. but uh, <laughs> And you end up dating someone who also liked yeah. rainbows who poop Skittles. And it's like, I Hopefully. just I just liked it because it was a funny name. And they're like, <laughs> it was oh, funny. well, I actually do like rainbows who poop Skittles. So <laughs> You've never seen my about. tattoo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in the same way that you would wear those, you'd kind of like add those badges like this is my persona or my personality. Right. Um, it was a really formative um, kind of routine and also identity that he was not only funny and kind of cynical, well, obviously cynical, but um, musical and expressive and deep. But he was, you know, people took him seriously. I mean, even with words, 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 he comes on stage and people are really stoked to see that he's there. And he's young. He's young, young man. Like, he was 20 years old, 19 or 20 when he was doing words, words, words. And Crazy. yeah, and, uh, the, uh, I am... Almost as old as he was when he did Make Happy, I think. Uh, uh, am, I, am I wrong? Or no. Uh, what? what? Yeah. Yes. And, you know, it, obviously there are things that you see every day where you're like, shit, what have I done? And, you know, especially <laughs> especially now when you, you're kind of like inundated by all these influencers and people who are having these like really lavish um, lives on online. Um, but I... It, it was a really interesting kind of... He was the first of his kind, really. I mean, he was discovered in 2006 on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And, and the only other... The biggest person that we knew discovered on 2006, in 2006 was Bieber. Right. Right? Right. I mean, I remember the hottest guys in middle school were the ones who looked the most like Bieber. Exactly. That's you know, true. It was like, you don't have Bieber hair. I, I grew out my hair to have Bieber hair. And let me tell you, I do not have straight hair. No. And I was a chubby kid, and, and like it just—it did not work on any in any way. You know, sure. it was I was far from Bieber, but my I could sing like Bieber, so I got like Jay Beebs. Well, yeah, you know, I got the I had the runs. You got the swag. Yeah, you got the runs. You got the. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have uh, swag. Runs. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I gotta tell you, Ash. I actually saw Justin Bieber in concert during the My World tour. Lucky. Do you believe me on that, dude? I and. Let me tell you, it was like because all the girls liked him, all the guys were like, "Fuck Justin Bieber." Yes. Also, exactly. Robert Pattinson. You know, I remember <laughs> liking like, something. Yeah. Yeah. Look where Facebook. Robert Pattinson is now. <laughs> I, I love Robert Pattinson. I love, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that man. Yeah, and I also really like Justin Bieber. It. it I sure. think that it's like you know, all the girls like him, so I gotta hate him because I'm right. masculine or I'm I'm trying to be masculine. You know, these little right. kids. But I mean. What a talented guy. And also, with that much attention, can you, ex- can you expect better? And also, like, who are you to expect perfection from somebody who's, like, constantly in the, in the you know, in the public eye? I mean, that's got to sure. be really rough. Yeah, so, no kidding. Especially at, you know, what, 15 years old or whatever it is, 16 years younger, old. Younger, right? Even. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But, um, I mean, it was a really formative... Bo was a really formative force in my life. And I, I mean, truth be told, I, I also hadn't thought of him uh, recently. And uh, when Jackie brought him up, I was like, that's got to be it. Because just like, you know, you weren't expecting it. I think that there's so much to be said about his progression and also how he was, how he came 
to be known. And I think that that mode of, um, you know, getting well-renowned isn't available to us anymore. Being discovered on YouTube isn't a thing, really. It's getting millions and millions of views, cashing out on that and starting a brand. I mean, it's TikTok. It's all the, I mean, it is a, a mainstream, you know, people are, are graduating or not even getting there and, and trying with all of their might to be found on those same platforms for doing much less. Right? Totally. I mean, 100%. And, you know, you have to imagine that around the time, 2006, 2007, whatever mm -hmm. exactly that year was, I don't think that anyone thought, I'm going to put these videos up of me doing comedy songs, quote unquote, in my room, right. and then I'm going to have a career from that. He was yeah. probably just doing it because it's like, hey, my friends will like this. Hey, this is what I'm working on. Never in a million years do you really expect, especially back then, to be discovered, for lack of a better term, yeah, off I mean, YouTube. 2006, viral meant like swine flu. You remember when that was... Oh, all we had to worry yeah. about. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> even flu, really that flu. big of a problem. No, I remember like sitting on the school. Yeah, you could go to school. I mean, yeah, we went to school. Yeah. People aren't going to school. We, I mean, I remember sitting on the bus and being like, bird flu. No. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from birds. It yeah, was, exactly. you know, it was, I mean, it was scary, but that was because of just media coverage. And now there's no media coverage of coronavirus. <laughs> and it's and that's even part scarier. of what makes it scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. now it's like actually at your doorstep, uh, and there's a lot less, you know, well, not, a, well, let's just Bo Burnham though. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Bo Burnham, do you think Bo's worried about coronavirus? I would hope so. Does he put out a coronavirus song yet? No. What the fuck's going on with What's that? What's going on with that guy? Uh, what's going on, man. Yeah. So you, you had said, um, that you had, you know, he's very formative for you. Uh, you, you know, have a lot of history with this guy. I also have a very similar beginning with this man because I, too, discovered words, words, words in eighth grade. Wow. Look at us. <laughs> and it, it was life-changing because right? of all the reasons you said. He had this smart, very – he literally was 19 or 20 years old. Very mm. young, you know, arrogant, but – clearly a persona you know on stage i'm smarter than you i write better songs than you and i'm gonna do it in such a refreshing way that it really blew my mind and it was the only thing i really listened to from like the middle of eighth grade to the end of eighth grade one of my best memories in middle school was wearing my headphones at my school at the end of the year we would have this big like pizza party like type thing i went to like a six through twelve school so we would like Lucky. watch the seniors get like awards or whatever and then we would do pizza and i just remember with my headphones in walking around with my friends with my pizza listening to art is dead and yes <laughs> yes and rent and those were honestly the two that were heaviest in my rotation because i mean i think that they brought up really really like just important uh kind of avenues in my life there was faith and there was attention and right. as i mean i think that we as performers as uh, you know, as creatives, I think that yeah. it's, and I, you know, I had, I have very, very wild ADHD, but it, you know, in middle school and high school, that was like, what's going on with this kid. Right. Sure. I mean, now it's, it's to my advantage, but then it was like, geez, uh, can you stop? 
<laughs> Can you knock it the fuck off, please? Yeah, and I, I, I uh, did. You, have you ever seen that? Um, that uh, Jim and Andy, the the uh, Jim Carrey, yeah, yes, Andy yeah, Kaufman, about, yeah, the documentary, documentary, yeah. And he talks about this like this hide he has, as he puts it, like this Jekyll and sure. Hyde, where he would, you know, come out strong and just try to entertain everybody. But then he would, he would, you know, that was like his hide that he would do anything to like make people laugh, make his dad laugh. And then when he comes back to his Dr. Jekyll, he would just feel exhausted or embarrassed or like, you know, just kind of like a, you know, an attention whore. And that resonated with me really strongly in the same way that art is dead did because, you know, I mean, in eighth grade, I, I dropped out of school to do professional theater uh, and I, and I was in a movie and it was extremely formative. I was very lucky to do it, but at the same time, I was getting this kind of attention that I'd always craved and this kind of validation that I'd always craved, but I had always felt and something that I, you know, I'm very glad that I've gotten better at is saying this every sixth joke that pops into my head. Sure. Right? Because when you're young, it's just you're just rattling everything you can come up with off. You know, it's just like, look at me, I'm funny, I'm worth something, pay attention to me. And that kind of feeling of like, you know, um entertainers are uh not that complicated. Um, you know, it's like that kid at the birthday party who wouldn't stop screaming. He's a little t- attention attractor when he grows up to be a comic or actor. It was like very sobering, you know? It was like, I do feel that way. And I think that there is an ego that I need to to always try to check with this thing. Because if I'm, if I'm going to try to do this professionally or if I'm going to try to do it well, then I need to, to pay attention to not thinking that I'm better, you know, than anybody. Or, and I, I, obviously that's... Um, something that performers have to do and think about. But at that age, I think that it was really important for me. Um, and also, you know, like you said, rant, getting into to religion and, and the kind of hypocrisy and, um, and stuff in that. That's a whole, that's a whole barrel of apples. B- before we dive in, before we take a bite out of that barrel of apples, what movie were you in? <laughs> I didn't know this about you. Uh, <laughs> Learning something new about you. What's well, going so on? I I left school to do. I was in the original cast production of A Christmas Story the Musical um, before oh, wow. before I went to Broadway. So um, I worked with Justin um, uh, and Ben, uh, Justin Paul and Ben uh, Pasek. They did Dear Evan Hansen, Greatest Showman. Oh shit! Um, okay. You know they have they're they're very accomplished now, but that this was kind of uh, after uh, Dogfight. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but this was their kind of their I think their debut onto Broadway. Well, and so I was in the original cast production of that. So I left school. I was Scott Farkas, if you're familiar with A Christmas Story. Okay, wow. So yeah, I was yeah, the, yeah. the bully, um, and I, I remember they fired the director on on the opening of previews. So wow, you, uh, you know in in. We, we had something like 45 shows, right? Like a, we had a bunch of shows, th- you know, over 2,000 people every night. It was a packed house. And right as previews started, they fired the director and changed a lot. So we would be rehearsing for 12 hours, take a break for dinner, come back for the show and rehearse the or, and, and perform the old show. So oh, it was wow. pretty wacky. Um, I think, you know, that, that mental plasticity you have when you were 
you know, in eighth grade or whatever helps a lot. Sure. Um, but then from that, <laughs> this casting director saw me uh, be a bully and <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I, I have this Christmas movie that needs a bully. So, uh, you know, I, uh, the, I auditioned like seven times for the, the, uh, you know, with callbacks included for the right. stage production. And I think I, I went through like three callbacks for the, the movie and it's, it was originally called Ira Finkelstein's Christmas Vacation. Then it was Ira Finkelstein's Christmas. Then it was All I Want is Christmas. Then it was All I Want is Xmas. And now you can find it as Switchmas. Um, and it's <laughs> Holy with- shit. David Deloise, who's the dad in um, yeah uh, yeah uh, Wizards of Waverly Place, and yeah. Elliot, Elliot Gould, funny enough. Oh my uh, god, that's crazy! <laughs> so it was really, really a strange, and you know, and that was the first time actually I stepped on set, and I had somebody sure. holding my umbrella, running to crafty for me. You know, I you know I had to do uh, set school, right? I had the, right, the set teacher every time it was like cut, and you know they're gonna. Yeah, they whisk you on off there so exactly. that they can get your time in or whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, it was, and you know, I'm, I was just like, you know, like, I don't want to go. Like, let me watch. And I remember I talked to the DP and, I, and he was like, this is a red camera. I was like, oh. So, <laughs> do you shoot with like two cameras? Like, there's like a red camera and a blue camera? Nice. And Hell yeah. I just, I always remember that because, you know, now I go to, I, you know, I've, I've had my own sets and I've shot right. with, you know, those cameras and it's. With it a was, red camera and a blue camera. <laughs> with a, well, I make <laughs> I pay extra for the blue camera. I, okay, I make cool. sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know that was a really formative experience too. Uh, obviously, it it kind of, I mean, going from professional theater, which is just intoxicating. You step out in front of thousands of people with the lights on you, and you know you have solos or whatever, and people are just there and they're paying a lot to see you. I mean, obviously right, not right. just you, but that's an incredible feeling but then to go and then have you know the camera right in your face and the blocks in we shot in Leavenworth Washington and you know they shut down the streets and people would accumulate and watch and as a kid I mean can you feel more special I mean like (laughs) people like whoa what's going on over there oh and you're in the middle of it and um and that was really when I was like whoa if I could be the orchestrator on this symphony that would be, you know, that would be one step up. You know what sure. I mean? Like, because I, I, you're still being told what to do. And I, even then, I would have changed little things. Obviously, I mean, I really respect the director. I really, you know, um, it's a funny, cheesy Christmas movie. Sure. Um, but, it, you know, it was, it was a really great experience because I, I got to see behind the, behind the scenes of a, you know, million dollar movie. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, as, you know, as someone, you know, when you're a kid, you know, that's got to be a dream come true in a lot of ways. Absolutely, you know, not yeah. only am I in this movie, but I get to see how a professional set works. And it doesn't sound like you really had to go far from home either. It sounds like it was pretty damn close to where you were living at the time. Yeah. So you didn't really even have to, like, leave your life, so to speak. Well, I had to I had to go and stay. It was, it's about five hours away from where I live. Oh, so, okay. you know, I got my own, like, condo, basically. Yeah, I mean, not like a... But you know, like a one bedroom apartment right. for uh, it could I think it was a two bedroom apartment, one for my mom and one for me. Right. So I mean, and then you know I wasn't making a lot, but obviously like getting paid anything as a kid is like, Holy I'm shit. so important. Well, like, look at me, you know. Yeah. So um, you Money know, as silly bank. exactly, and as silly as it you know is like in hindsight, at the time, I mean that was just 
you know, that was major. So it was really, an, you know, an important actually having the professional stage and then the professional film and seeing the differences and being like, yo, this film stuff is really cool. Sure. Because, Absolutely. I mean, if you didn't go see me on stage, it didn't happen. I have to sure. tell you, you know, but then you see a commercial for it or you, you know, you, you search it on demand and then there I am. Or, you know, it was on Netflix for a while. And then, you know, that's as somebody who, who craves, you know, attention and validation, <laughs> at least at that age, a lot more so, you know, it was it was it was pretty cool. And uh, Bo Burnham had so much. Look at you spinning it back into well, Bo I mean, just like that, that. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> I mean, he had just so much steez. He had so much, you know, he just commands every moment of our attention and uh, he does it with just like seemingly no effort. And he talks about how he grapples with feeling, you know, he like people know him or certain things like that. And that's, you know, um, obviously I have never faced that. I am no, by no means um, even remotely close to him. But that was um, a side of that kind of job or that industry that I, I really needed to hear at that point because you know, if it seems all glittery, you need somebody to tell me that, you know, it's not all gold, right? It's not all gold. And it's interesting that now that you've told me that you had this experience, you know, as a young kid when you were in eighth grade and, you know, when you were younger, it's interesting because he literally says this in, I'm completely, uh, in, what the fuck is the name of his last special? I just completely uh, make blanked. Happy. In Make Happy, yes, thank you. Uh, he literally says this in Make Happy, but all of his comedy is about performance. It's all about performance in some way, and because he, that's what he knows. Mm-hmm. He was discovered as a young kid in his bedroom. He was 16 or 17. He gets shoots to fame. Got a couple fast facts for the listeners and for you mm, uh, here. Lovely. He was born August 21st, 1990, which as of this recording is literally tomorrow. He will be turning 30 years old tomorrow as of this recording. So last week uh, for everybody listening, uh, he was discovered when he was 16 or 17 in his bedroom doing YouTube videos. He is the youngest as of December 2010. Burnham was the youngest artist to garner his own hour-long Comedy Central special. Wow. Because you're not, you're not going to get a lot of you know 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds up on that stage. I mean, you got to be 18, 19 to break that record. I think he was 19 I mean, at the even time. even then, like I mean, you're doing, you're doing run-of-the-mill stand-up. You're not doing one-man show. I mean, sure. I hold him in a regard that is much higher than... I mean, I love stand-up. I... I I don't, I'm not a fantastic stand-up, right? But I, I think that that kind of over, not over, but really well-rehearsed um, and just super original content. Without a doubt. And he's doing it, you know, uh, at that such young age. Such a young uh, age. In words, words, words. So there's that. And then the flirtation with film comes actually a little bit earlier than you might think. I got this little tidbit here that says while performing at the montreal just for laughs festival in 2008 burnham met with director and producer judd apatow that september burnham negotiated with universal pictures to write and create the music for an apatow produced comedy film which he describes as the quote anti-high school musical 
Although Burnham insists the script is not a parody of Disney musicals, but an attempt to emulate the high school he attended. Hoping to star in the film he was writing, Burnham told Wired Magazine that he named the star Bo in a, quote, not-so-subtle hint that he wants to be in it. In October 2010, the interview in an interview with MTV, Burnham admitted that he did not know anything about the future of the project and that it was all effectively up in the air as he knew it. So he's flirting with doing film way before the idea of eighth grade even enters the picture. Literally, it sounds like 10 years before eighth grade comes out. So he's already got his mind going in that direction in 2010, just to show you that I don't know if you remember what you were like when you were 18, Ash, but when I was 18 years old, I was just trying to get through my freshman year of college and I was freaked out. This guy is writing the music and the script and wanting to star in a Judd Apatow comedy. I mean, holy shit. The part that makes me want to poop my pants of that is negotiate. You negotiated? (laughs) Right. You told Judd Apatow, if, you know, I would tell Judd Apatow, uh, uh. Please? Whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, whatever you want. <laughs> Unbuckles, yes. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, it just goes to show, it, it never seemed like he was satisfied with what you knew he, he was capable of. Right? Totally. I mean, it always seemed like he pushed the envelope, and that's such a <laughs> kind of a cliche thing to say about somebody. He always pushed the envelope. He always... But, I mean, you know, it, we wouldn't be talking about him if he wasn't doing something new uh at least at the time and uh you know shocking or you know turning heads so did you ever watch zach stone is gonna be famous i was so i was gonna bring that up zach stone is gonna be famous zach stone yeah i i watched the whole show and every time i went to school and asked somebody about it they i didn't know what i was talking about (laughs) exactly it makes sense why it only had one season right but um I I always say a line from that, which is the cooking episode when his mom cooks everything. He goes, "I did it, and you helped." And I, I you know, that's one of those things I always say. I, I regurgitate <laughs> his lines without even thinking about it because it is such a you know, like I said, a foundational part of my humor. You know, he sure he was just like, uh, you know, there are people that it, if I were to say I did it and you helped, they go, "No, I did it and you helped," and it's like, okay. Well, plant your feet because that was a joke. <laughs> you know? Watch the fuck out for that joke. Uh, there, <laughs> there was a time where I had to start uh, making a fart sound to my mom because she would always take what I said seriously. And I, yeah, there you go. I, I'm very kind of deadpan a lot of the time, and I'll just, <laughs> you know. So it's like, wow, I'm really excited to do that. She's like, really? Why would you be excited? I'm like. Pfft. Mom, come on. Keep up. <laughs> come on, Mom. It was a fart. Come on. Come on, Mom. mom. <laughs> God. Um, but she... She uh, uh, she, she hated that, right? She was fucking pissed off. Oh, yeah. The fart sound was just like, you know... She actually uh, called me right before this, and he says, if he brings up the fucking fart sound, I want you to end the podcast right yeah. now. So thank you so much for coming on the pod, my friend. Is there anything, <laughs> you, want to, anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, if you don't hear from me tomorrow, uh, it, it was probably my mom. Um, it was my mom. But uh, she, I, I was listening to Art is Dead the other day, and that is, like, very important to her as well because it was, you know, it was talking about entertainers and the, um, I guess, is the, is, the, is effic- efficacy the right word there? I'm, I have no idea if it I'm is, gonna, to be You know what? I'm, I'm, instead of somebody going, that's not the right word, I'm just not going to use it. Okay, so great. the, you know, kind of the, uh, 
the morality in, in, you know, and feeling like I'm entertaining you. I'm not better than you. I'm like, I'm just doing what I already want, which is trying to get attention. So, um, you know, and I think that that's really important or at least it really was. So, um, and then obviously rant, which is, you know, uh, hey Obama, can you pass some hope, hope to the Pope? Because I know two bros who want to elope, but the Pope said no, so the bros can't grow. <laughs> grow. Uh, you know, all that. It's just, uh, it's, I, all I needed to do was turn on words, 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 hear the first thing he said, and then from there on, I was saying it with him, you know? Sure. It's one of those, like, kind of muscle memories there but um were you doing that this time around like could you still do it yeah yeah i mean with especially with uh rant and um but also with what's what's funny um and uh and also with uh men and women oh yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. because i always used to say men are like ravens and crows because they hate Wearing condoms, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and for people who had never seen it, Ash was funny. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry Ash. to break it to all the people who think I'm funny because they don't know who Bo Burnham is. But let me tell you, I'm a lot less funny than you think. <laughs> I'm actually very similar to this guy, Bo Burnham, that you might want to check out. I'm just, I'm store brand. Let me tell you. Like, <laughs> I, could, I could get on stage and, and for a room full of people, if I could play the piano, for a room full of people they would think that I was God. And let me tell you, I'd be darn close because be Bo close. Burnham, man. Um, but yeah, and his, his progression from what, what, what to uh, words, words, words to what, 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 what to what. Um, well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold – I'm going to actually have you hold on oh, that real go quick for because it. I want to get show. into each of the stand-up specials and the movie like really like one-on-one here. Mm-hmm. So I actually got one more question for you before we dive into words, words, words and look at it a little bit more closely. And you've kind of talked about a lot of the different questions I actually had prepared for you already. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip to this one. Besides the musical element of Bo, specifically the fact that he's playing piano or guitar on stage – what do you think it is about him that differentiates him from another stand-up comedian or, in your words, you know, doing this one-man show? What do you think actually elevates it to the one-man show realm as opposed to just another stand-up comedian? Well, I've got to say that it is, you know, as a theater kid, as somebody who, you know, part of the reason I love acting uh, and, I, you know, and it's still, you know, a priority for me even when I could write my own roles and, and, you know, and try to direct it is memorizing good writing. I mean, memorizing and performing words, knowing exactly what you're going to say and nailing a monologue is, I mean, that's a high that you chase, right? I mean, it's, and he, I mean, as evidenced by the pillars on stage with words, 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 where if he's playing the piano, if you look to, you know, stage left or stage right, you can catch, you know, the Irish poet Shaquille O'Neal or, you know, different parts of each bit is, I mean, it was, it's so kind of like self-reflexive and it's just so well rehearsed. Even when he's kind of like rambling, it seems like that is exactly what he wants to do. And and it's, you know, where other stand-up where, you know, I mean, who are some of your favorite stand I mean, even Carlin or... Uh, right. All these different people. I mean, I think, I think, I can't speak with authority, but I think a lot of the time they're, they're paraphrasing certain parts. They're feeling the audience. I mean, 
uh, just like how you open the show, what feels right is what you say, right? It's exactly. just kind of, um, and obviously getting to each joke, if there's, a, if there's a big laugh, you know, kind of riding on that a little bit, maybe making a little bit, uh, you know, a couple, trying out some stuff, I don't know, but but I think that like a huge part that differentiates him between anybody else I'd really seen at the time. I mean, you know, Tosh.0 was big at that time. Daniel Tosh sure. was, was pretty big. It wasn't just jokes. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, you know, he, he pulls that cane out and the flowers come out. He says, what right. the fuck? And then he moves on. It, and it wasn't even just that it was random. It was just that he was like, you can't, you can't get ahead of me. You don't see where this joke is going. I'm going to, you know, slap you with a rock hard misdirection. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and I, I just, as, as such a young guy with so much just, you know, I wouldn't say even confidence, but like he was just so sure that what he had was the right way to do it. It felt totally, like, you know, and it, and it absolutely was. So there's an element of control. I think that you're pinpointing on. He had so yeah. much control over his material and the audience's expectations that no matter what he was about to do, it seems as though, and we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into what, when we touch on that, but it seems as though he is in control and you are unable to look away. That's at least what I'm getting from what you're saying. Well, I mean, uh, to, to just to dip into what, just to dip yes. my, just a little bit is just another fantastic, you know, writer, performer, um, you know, dir- uh, less director, but uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, right? Right. Absolutely incredible. And um, we went and saw Fleabag, Obviously, I mean, if you haven't seen Fleabag, if anybody hasn't seen the first and second season, the two season of Fleabag, please watch it. It's incredible. But we went and saw, um, you know, Fathom events or whatever. Sure. Uh, we went and saw the live version in a, in a movie theater. And it was the first episode, but just her talking, you know, and then a disembodied voice being her stage or, her, uh, you know, her scene partner, right? Right, right. That is in such large part the kind of format of a a big you know like i said in such a large part of of what he does right i mean especially in what and um and in make happy is he's he's talking to himself he's bouncing off of what he wrote it is a uh just like her one woman play that turned into a you know a a tv series it is like a one-man play it is so well thought out rehearsed down to the you know the the finger point and boing, 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 you know i mean when he murders the the <laughs> pentacorn or whatever yes you know yeah. one two three four oh but that's getting into uh what but i i think i think that's the answer to your question long or short long, short answer long um, short answer that's, that's got to be it it's like it's like theater it's a really um intelligent and uh well thought out uh, piece of theater. There so. you go. And I think that, that in a lot of ways it is like theater because, you know, whether you actually have literal songs in a musical or whether you actually have, you know, sounds that are going on to make something musical, he's literally performing songs for you. He's got the music element. It does have all the, the way he uses lights, which we mm-hmm. can also talk about, you know, it is like theater, but 
I want to dive into each of his little pieces here uh, that we talked about or that he has done in his career. And I want to start with words, 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 obviously, because that was the first one. Obviously, like I said before, he was the youngest artist as of December 2010 to have an hour-long Comedy Central special. We, You and I both have had words, words, words kind of seared into our brain since we were, you know, the same age. I was doing the same thing. I was sitting there watching this. I was singing along and what I, and I don't know if I actually had ever seen words, 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 the actual special, because my main source of it was the album on oh, Spotify wow. and everything. That's interesting. And if I hadn't, if I had seen it live before, this was the first time in it probably, you know, almost 10 years, you know, a little less than, but I was struggling to keep up with the pace that which he was going at because he is flying. Mm-hmm. through his material on there. I was like, this guy wants to get off the stage <laughs> as quickly as possible. He doesn't want to be up there, but that's obviously dipping into some things we know about him now and some things that he brings up but later. But I also think it's it's indicative of his youthful nature. I mean, he was, well, totally. you know, it's he, he hadn't had enough time to be an expert. You know, he he didn't have those, those pauses or those, um, you know, nuances down yet. No, not exactly. He's trying to just fly through it as you know much as he can. Mm-hmm. Not in even a bad way, but just in like, man, he is excited to be up there. He's getting this all out. Like this is a dream come true uh, for him, and you see it in this special, and it starts to be more something prevalent in his later specials. But even in the beginning, he has an awareness of his audience. Mm-hmm. He can't not have an awareness of his audience. And it's kind of the thing that if you look at him like a tragic figure in some way, like a Macbeth or like a King Lear to keep it in the world of theater, it's kind of his thing that ultimately leads to his quote unquote downfall in the fact that we're probably never going to see him do live performing ever again. Well, you know it definitely what I mean? didn't seem like, you know, he seemed like a goodbye at the end, but to that point, I think I've talked about this uh, a lot and, uh, but, you know, I at least thought about it a lot. And, you know, Chris Farley, one of the funniest people to have ever lived. John yeah. Candy, even. Um, these people have the, the stranglehold on comedy. They have everyone listening, but it's self-deprecating. I came from a place, uh, you know, when I played baseball, I wasn't the best. How did I not get picked on? I picked on myself, right? I mean, sure. it's, it's a, everybody, a lot of people have done this, especially in middle school you know, elementary school, but that self-deprecating humor just is not, um, it's, it's not a good way to go. It's, it'll run out. Right. And we've seen that with Chris Farley. We've seen that with, if you're willing to give up your own happiness to make other people happy, it is not, you know, it's, it's not going to get you far. There's a hole in that boat from the start and it doesn't matter if it's the Titanic or a rowboat, you're going down. And, you know, so it's it's like and that's part of what we were talking about with um you know art is dead is like that kind of realization that like if you give too much of yourself you start to become the jokes you start to become you know and i think you you see people like oliver tree right you see these people who have kind of like taken on this persona and i'm sure oliver tree is a much sweeter dude than he like pretends to be but i also know from experience when I did multiple bully roles in a row. And that sounds really silly, but when I did multiple bully roles in a row, I started to be kind of a bully. You know, I, ha- <laughs> sure. I, ha- I had to get taken down a notch. 
Um, and I th- and I think that regardless of of the bit, if you do the bit too long, you start to become the bit to a certain extent. I'm sure Where does all the bit trees. Stop? Exactly. Like how do you turn it off? Especially with the people who are close to you are probably going to be there when you're doing it, right? So I I don't think that Chris Farley, you know, and I can't really speak to it, and I don't want to speak to things that I can't, but I, I, I imagine it's got to be really hard when you are the funniest man, and part of that is because you people think, oh, what an idiot, right? And I think right. that, you know, I mean, and we're not going to, I'm not going to breach and talk about Make Happy, but he starts it with a, you know, clown makeup and a clown nose, and I think right. that that's definitely a underlying theme there without a doubt he is very aware of the fact that people are watching him and he has made that sort of his suit of armor of i'm gonna get myself first and the weird the weird thing is and this is not a knock on him at all but like the weird thing is if he wasn't making those jokes about him i wouldn't have even thought about it in that way you know like it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way am i mm-hmm. laughing when he's saying that stuff absolutely would i have thought about it otherwise not at all like i'm just kind of along for the ride with his stuff because it does feel so planned like you said it does feel like a piece of theater and something that you brought up right before we started getting into this was how in 2020 there are some jokes in words 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 that do feel a little bit like ooh, I'm an edgy young guy. Like, I'm going to joke about mm-hmm. rape way too much or I'm going to say some racial stuff that definitely doesn't fly in 2020 and I don't remember if it did in 2010 or not, but it feels awkward as hell. You know what I, I mean? I think I, rem- you know, I remember a time where that, that humor fit in, you know, with, sure. with the, the com- comedy, you know, sphere or whatever you want to call it. And now when he says it, I don't even... I don't, I don't laugh. I don't smirk. All I think is no way anybody would make that joke now. Cause it's just not funny. Sure. You know? I mean, and I, I, I'm, I, Jim Jeffries recently talked about like, you know, the line and you know, if I cross, like if you draw the line behind me after I've said something like 10 years ago and I'm not going to get into that at all. That's, I, I have nothing, you know, of value to, to enter that, but it's, it's a, obviously a conversation in comedy Absolutely. It's um, an ever-changing one, too. Absolutely. Yeah, because we're becoming a lot, you know, just society is becoming a lot more uh, inclusive. And um, so, you know, there are things that I'm sure more people laughed at at the time or at least thought were passable. Um, But when, you know, a joke is like uh, a race is bad, you know, like that. I mean, we (laughs) left that. That is the joke. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, you lost me there. You know, I'm not not on board for that one. Um, But for the most part, obviously, if you took everything I said at 19 or everything that I feel like I could have made public, I would I would want some of those words back. Um, Sure. I think everyone has is entitled to learn new information and change their minds. It's just whether or not they will change their minds. And I think that's that's a big thing. or if they're or if they're willing to receive new information, and I, obviously, it seems that uh, the man we're talking about is somebody who has learned a lot and uh, yeah. applied it. And he had to grow up in the public mm-hmm. eye as well in that way, because you know, just when you turn eighteen, doesn't mean it's like, well, now I know everything that I'm ever going to know. In fact, 
quite the opposite. I, I don't know about you, but when I turned 18, you know, leaving high school or whatever it was, I felt like I knew it all. I felt like I totally understood. And then as soon as I got to college, I was like, damn, I know jack shit about jack shit. And mm-hmm. so me having to do that at 18 on not a public level, him doing it and me <laughs> on a Comedy Central hour-long special figuring it out and yeah. just moving forward being a young person in the public eye, holy shit, what an experience that not a lot of people can relate to because they just don't have that experience and be yeah. not an enviable position at all. No, I mean, you know, part of it is like, man, if I had, you know, the gumption or the, you know, just the natural talent to do that. I mean, if I could play the piano, let alone, you know, have the actual dedication or discipline to write the stuff and write it all out and then, and then memorize it. You know, I mean, that alone is an an incredible feat, but it's funny that we, I mean, we talked about the the only other, the only person that really comes to mind, at least I'm not going to say the only other person who, uh, you know, got famous off YouTube in a similar, uh, in a similar time was Bieber. And, you know, we hear about him. I remember when I heard about him, like drunk driving or something. I don't, I don't know the full story, but I, I just remember being like, it's got to be it's it's had to have been so hard all these strangers yeah. thinking that they know you and thinking that they're actually in love with you the only the only other thing that i really wanted to bring up for what words 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 is that the name of the show he he's really good at naming his shows because more so than this show than the other ones there literally are more words in this show like the amount of words in the song words 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 there's no room to to breathe like mm-hmm. it is just joke after joke after joke after joke it doesn't let up it's always coming it's a freight train of jokes because literally like i said to you i'm sitting in the chair right behind me watching this happen on screen and i can barely keep up and i was like damn i you know haven't really sung these songs since eighth grade but i remember these and he's kicking my fucking ass just singing these songs there's so many words in these songs so words 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 great special for this because he's also using words like we were saying in a very towing the line and stepping over the line way i feel like that's what defines this special he's being young he's being a little bit bratty he's being extremely subversive in like a uh, obscene way in this one way more so than in any other of his specials Mm -hmm. and not only is he doing that but he's clearly insanely smart and starting to address his fears and addressing his anxieties in the song art is dead. That's like the only glimpse that we really get into the internal uh, monologue of what this guy is really experiencing and going through. So it's just, I think it's important to bring out because we are going to be talking about the progression. This is where he starts. He's young. He's obscene. He's got a lot of things to say. Hence the term words, words, words. It's also a Shakespeare uh you know yeah, thing was, uh, words, yeah. words 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 um, but also i mean just the fact that he's how old and and reciting shakespeare yeah and talking about it critically and you know having an opinion on you know at at that age i i somebody asked me about shakespeare i'd be like yeah i i, I was in a i was in i was uh, in romeo and juliet I was, yeah. yeah i was in as you like it and uh it turns out i really didn't you know um <laughs> Fucking but, hate, as I fucking hate it, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's a difference between being like, yeah, Shakespeare's a hack, and then you know, like launching it. into it, and uh, you know, he's he's so obviously intelligent, like 
wildly intelligent and he is boisterous and full of himself and then exactly like you say we see behind you know that armor and um you know art is dead so uh I, I that was also just really attractive to me was um seeing somebody who was young and and full of themselves but then also being kind of vulnerable and how cool Be- that was and it's being full of yourself and it's never in an unattractive way i don't think it's always in a very appealing charismatic way because it's so obvious that it's a persona and a put on and it is part of the joke you know what i mean like that persona is part of the bit and part of the joke that at least in my view and you can feel free to disagree with me i was never offended or put on or put off should i say by the persona because it was so clearly a joke and he was always making the joke about him at the end of the day. Does yeah. That, does yeah, that absolutely. At absolutely. All? And I, I think, you know, I think that part of why some people don't kind of get that. And I, you know, I think he, he talks openly about his kind of bias and privilege as a, as a, uh, you know, a cis white, um, man, straight right? Guy. Yeah. Straight dude. And, um, and I think that definitely comes into play with a lot of what he talks about. And also, uh, I think that it, it's a product of privilege to not be offended by much, um, sure. which is an interesting thing uh, to kind of think about, obviously, um, you know, checking privilege at all times. But um, I just think that his his kind of like the way he does it is so tasteful and the way he talks about things is because you can't take it seriously. Like you totally. can't because he's he's quite literally saying the opposite. And yes. that's such such a hard line to walk. And at times, I think at most in words, 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 he kind of isn't always right online. You know, with some of the things he's saying, it's just kind of like, you know, that's not very smart. That's, you know, a little bit uh, dumb, actually. But I mean, sure. for the most part, I think what is so great about him is that he is he says things and he means the absolute opposite. And that's what's so cool about it is... Um, if somebody were to take it at face value, they're missing everything, right? Absolutely. It's almost a willful ignorance to be like, oh, well, he's just saying this. And it's like, no, he's actually saying the opposite of what you think he's saying. And you are choosing to look at it in a way that is, uh, it's just, you're missing the point. You're just missing the point. And you can, I mean, Uh, there's so many, so many, so many bits you can think of, you know, uh, sluts, uh, that bit and that the end, you know, and, um, you know, uh, well, it's in... interesting because in rant, uh, in words, 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 he's really addressing organized religion and belief in God and the way that the Bible is interpreted. And he went to, he literally says, I went to a Catholic school for a blank amount of years and I was on garage band for, you know, 30 minutes. And this is the result of that. But I have to imagine, especially being that young and being fresh out of school, Maybe in his household, there wasn't a lot of room for other interpretations of what faith, spirituality, religion means. So this mm-hmm. might be his like defiance against mom and dad of being like, no, here's what I think about religion. No, here's what I think about that, that every young person goes through with their family and their parents just on a public scale, just on a yeah. public stage on an hour long special on Comedy Central in front of With a lot of jokes about his dad, you know, and there's you yes. know, the one about uh, his mom and shitting on the Bible and it, part of me, without knowing too much about his home life, part of, and, and going back to what we were just saying, where if you take it at face value, part of me has always kind of felt like he ha- might have a good, a, like a fantastic relationship with his father. For because sure. he jokes about it so much, you know? And I don't, I'm not going to lock in on that. 
That is not my final answer. Speculation. Uh, it's total speculation. Allegedly, allegedly. I don't know. Allegedly, um, allegedly, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Parody, parody, parody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out Jesus and Mero. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. Yeah. So uh, you know, we talked a lot about your relationship with words, words, words at the very beginning. What comes out in 2013? What is your relationship with what? Where does it fit in for you in the Bo Burnham canon? Well, um, this comes out uh, while we're in high school, right? Um, yeah. And as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, maybe to a fault, right-brained. You know, I, if you tell me to make a, you know, a, a schedule or something like that, that's, you know, my producer for Carnivore, uh, Dylan Lieberman, shout out. Without shout him, out. without, you know, production team, um, Eli uh, Weiss and everybody, I you know I, there's literally no way you'd be watching a movie, right? I mean, right. I am so just kind of on the creative side, and for what that um, you know left brain right brain, uh, I I've performed that actually with a, with a friend. You know, it's it is like theater, especially with the lighting cues. Yes. It is like so much of that. I mean, it starts with an extremely rehearsed you know, um, like bit, right. That has with music a, in with it. With a voice playing yeah. over the loudspeaker. Exactly. That is so challenging when you are performing live to sync up music, a voice cue and your own like mm-hmm. retorts to that. That is so challenging. And he does it so seamlessly. So seamlessly. And, but you know, that's just indicative of how much he must've rehearsed, which yes. is like a dedication that like you know a self discipline that I've never I've never you know experienced. That's that's part of what is so awe inspiring about it is just um, the fact that he did the damn thing like that alone. You know you could not like it, and that's you know people who don't <laughs> people who don't go to film school. But you know you'll see a movie with somebody and um, they're like that that was awful, and you're like well they did a lot of cool things. You know, yeah. I mean, there were a ton of cool shots, right? They're like, you know, I'm, I'm still wondering how they did this thing. So instead of saying it sucks entirely, I'm going to say maybe I didn't like it, but it was cool. You know, I mean, they put a lot of work into it. And in that same yeah, way, exactly. I think if you, if you don't like what, it's really hard, I think, to watch it and say that sucks. Because what you're watching is this guy, you know, immortalizing something that he worked on alone, for a long right. time, you know, I, I think it's in what that somebody is like, you know, I love you or whatever, uh, you know, somebody like, calls oh, from out the crowd, and he's like, trying to do this thing that I, you know, it's really important to me. So shut up. You yeah, know? that I worked for the last three years on by myself. So why don't you just shut up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just uh, in in those moments um, where uh, I actually, yeah, well, we'll get to it. But um, those moments where like, there's the crowd participation and stuff. That is the extent of what isn't written. I mean, you know, multiple times he'll pull out his book. Yes. And say his, you know, in, in words, 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 it was the haikus in what it's, you know, some of the poems and such. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing on those pages. He knows it in and out. Like, like what have, what have you and I ever known that well? Part of the reason <laughs> why I scrambled so much when you asked me what I want to talk about is I was like, I'm not an expert on anything. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure. I, if you wanted to talk to somebody, the foremost expert of something, I am at the bottom of every list, right? I mean, sure. I love Frank Ocean. Somebody knows a lot more about him than I do. 
right? Sure. I mean, I, I, it was anything that I would bring up, I was I was afraid that you would ask me a question that I didn't have the answer to, and I'd be an imposter. But <laughs> you, I just it, you get the feeling from this guy that if you asked him about it, he knows everything. You know, I mean, everything is purposeful. So, um, right brain, left brain, left brain, right brain. My brother is extremely left brain. Um, we've always bounced off each other, you know, really butt heads, really love each other a lot and respect each other, but we've, you know, butt heads a lot. Um, especially, you know, being younger and growing up because, you know, he is so analytical and just, he is a absolute powerhouse when it comes to like, if you ask him about anything, he, he is very likely going to know more about it than you like uh, sure it, it really took me a while to 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 edge him out of like the filmmaking stuff because even when i would be like well they probably did it like this he's like no actually they probably did it and i'm like jesse <laughs> let me have Damn. this right yeah um, exactly but that kind of you know that song and especially with the lighting cues and the fact that he's doing it himself is is even like stronger uh, even stronger musk and scent of what we're talking about which is that kind of theatrical um, one man show. So, um, yeah. And it is more theater in this one because he doesn't really do this as much in words, 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 but in what he starts to really incorporate lighting design and mm. sound that comes, you know, down from the heavens, so to speak mm-hmm. and music even, you know, weirdly less. So I feel like, like the yeah. music almost becomes like secondary. Whereas in words, 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 it felt like he never left the piano in what mm. it feels like he's starting to really split time between walking around, doing stuff, using the space yeah. around him, uh, as opposed to just planning his ass on the piano bench and I got to be honest with you, I, re- I re-listened to the album and then watched, like, specific parts of it today. I think this is him at his most conflicted. I think this is Bo at the crisis moment, the tipping point, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I have a little fact here for you. Burnham experienced 12 panic attacks while touring for what, though he had never had panic attacks prior to this, that then informed the writing of his next stand-up performance, Make Happy, which we will talk about here in just a sec. But something is going on with Bo in this because he's 22, 23. You know, this comes out in 2013. Three years from words, words, words. But just watching him on stage, just listening to what he's talking about and just the way that he is on stage, it said to me, this is a man in crisis. This is a man with something really heavy on his mind and he's trying to figure out where to go next. Does it, that it resonate seems with you like at all? He, it almost seems like he re- like he uh, resents part of what he's doing. You yes. know, it almost seems like, uh, you know, he's got that Chris Farley thing going on where he's making people happy, but he's kind of, you know, he's, Miserable. he's giving out the light that's got to keep shining in himself. And, um, you know, he's obviously not overly happy in any of his stuff. That's kind of his, his bit or his persona, right? But it, it, it absolutely, I, I do agree that it, it does feel like he's very conflicted in that. Um, I mean, what did, what did you want to be when you were 16? <laughs> uh, when I was 16, uh, I wanted to be an actor is what I wanted to be when I was 16. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think 16, a lot of people have a... Maybe a basis of what they want to do, but a lot of people, you know, you go to college, you ask people what they're majoring in. A lot of people don't even know yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's and totally what they're majoring in natural, isn't right? what they want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just a stepping stone. And a lot of people, I mean, we're 23. 
what a weird time to enter the working world right now. But yeah. but imagine at 16, he's doing this thing and he's really good at it. But right then he's locked in to being this performer. And I, you know, 23 is a long ways from 16. I think you and yes. I are both looking, you know, climbing this mountain and looking back down and going, oh shit, we thought we knew it at 16. We thought we knew it at 18. We thought we knew it at 20. And now, you know, we're still kind of figuring it out at 23. Yeah. And I mean, I can't imagine doing this thing and also like kind of offering up a potential like stain to what he's already done. I mean, when you think about Frank Ocean or these people that have like a limited discography, I I imagine that there's an immense pressure every time they release something because it's not like, you know, like Gooch. Gucci Mane or, you know, uh, or a little bit, little B, little bass God, you know, just, (laughs) just, you know, releasing everything, just putting everything out. He had this thing that you and I already loved, right? That you and I, that you, you know, we walked around middle school and we listened to it in our headphones. We sang it, you know, it resonated. We tried to get our friends into it, even though they hated it. Yeah. And and then he's coming to the stage with this thing that's different, that he likes, and that he's done it in you know in his bedroom or he's you know learned on his own. I I, I imagine that it's got to be extremely taxing to think, what if they hate it? What if it's not the same? Right. Yeah, and you see that adverse relationship with the audience, I think, even more so in this. And that's a really interesting point that you bring up about people, he feeling as though people have put him in this box. He feeling as though, well, I have to do this because I was the kid on YouTube in the early days of YouTube that was doing comedy music and doing songs that I wrote that were really, you know, crazy and wild and subversive. Whereas in this... Uh, I mean, sad is ultimately a retread of ironic from words, 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 Mm -hmm. but he's got things that are even going further away from the obscene stuff. Like you were talking about the very beginning of the show from God's perspective, that is just a great song, like regardless of comedy or anything, you know what I mean? That has formed in such large part how I look at religion. I mean, just, just the sentiment, what if life on earth? earth could be heaven is heaven yeah just the thought of it makes it worth a try and something you know not to speak to to any large you know anything uh, i'm not going to attack anybody for i i was raised thinking nobody knows better right like i can't say that your religion is wrong because i don't know sure you know i i don't think personally i don't think really anybody knows to me god is everything in the universe that i'll never know so sure. it's it's you know it's it is this kind of kind of overcoming uh, encompassing thing and in that song you know he kind of he kind of pokes fun at at the things that seem arbitrary in religion right and um you know whatever you think of that i i really that that kind of my love is the type of thing that you have to earn and once you earn it you don't need it yeah is such a an interesting and poetic statement that doesn't mean like that that is not meant to make you laugh right and it's but but you call this a comedy show and that's why i've always loved him so much is because he's not just a comic he even he just thinks he's just a comic but he's not right i mean he's right. a performer he is a you know a poet and and kind of just uh I, he's just so important to me he he was at the time um 
But what a song, right? It is. It is. It is an amazing song. I pretty much. I'm, I hate to say it, but I feel like I kind of forgot about it because what was the special for me, at least with Bo, where I watched it, I enjoyed it at the time, and I tucked it away, and I never thought about it ever again for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I always considered it the weakest of the three really? in my head, but I don't. There wasn't really any basis for that. I was just like, oh, what. And I think it had a lot to do with where I was, you know, in life. I was in high school at the time. I was just like, oh, this is fun. This is fine. And then I just sort of tucked it away and forgot about most of what was going on. Obviously, Repeat Stuff is probably one of his biggest (laughs) hits. And there's a good reason for it. And it's from what? But for whatever reason, I just wasn't like crazy about this one going through. But listening through again to what he's doing here. I think it captures him at a very interesting point in his career with what he is going through of, oh, people expect me to be this thing when really I want to be this other thing. But on some level, this thing that I do does bring me uh, dopamine, maybe uh, at at the lowest level, but fulfillment at the highest level. But I'm starting to question really what that is. And I think you capture him at a, he captures himself really at a very interesting point. Uh, which if there's anything else, if there's nothing else you want to say, I feel comfortable moving on to the next special unless there's something else you want to say. I mean, that like repeats stuff, you know, I mean, and that, that talks about, uh, you know, in the same way that um, Art is Dead talks about the performer, it talks about the performer in, a, in, ex- in another extremely calloused sense where, you know, um, and if you're my agent, you're probably thinking, oh, no, sound the alarms. You're not appealing to little girls that don't have arms, but they don't have iTunes. So fuck them. Who needs them? You know, and then, right. he, you know, a deep throats uh, Satan. And he, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. an extremely aggressive critique on the very thing that he is kind of doing where he's like putting out this song to listen to. He is a performer. He's trying to make money. He's trying to get your money. He, he even plugs his book and his, which I owned, um, and uh, I, I, I loved a lot in there. There's one that ends with yours truly, yours truly. Um, oh, punctuate, wow. Yeah, and uh, that, that line um, was always really important to me. But, you know, he, I mean, he's plugging T-shirts. I didn't even realize that he sold T-shirts or else I would right. have bought one. Um, <laughs> you obviously right. can't get them now because what is he doing? You know, it's not the same <laughs> hustle, right? He sure. doesn't have to hustle like that because he is... Bo Burnham, the acclaimed director. But yeah, I think that that's, um, you know, we were talking about Bieber and we are talking about these other things and uh, being kind of tying into the, you know, being a part of the machine that churns out the performer to get back the money. Sure. um, And he uh, mentions that at the end of the show because you think with repeat stuff, the show's over and he does that really smart sound collage of we think we know you with all those voices coming together. Exactly. And that's the other thing. At 23... Thinking, you know, having people think that they know you in such a, you know, I, I, I think right now I'm the most different than I've ever been, right? Okay. Like, sure. I think at 23, I'm I'm the most different than I was, you know, at 18 and 19 and 20. Like, at 18 and 19 and 20, I would have been, you know, drinking in college. And there came a time where I wasn't interested in even, you know, drinking heavily and sure. kind of a thing. You know, I mean, I think that we're getting to this point where it's like this faux maturation right where you're like i'm an adult now i'm worried about the real world but having having that and then having people think that they know you from when you were 19 has got to be a living hell right and having people walk up to you and think that you that you owe them 
a performance or owe them some sort of entertainment when you left it there and that should be good enough. And I imagine that's, that's gotta be really, really tough. So, um, it, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine that being easy in any way, shape or form. And it's interesting to see where he goes with it next, because three years later we get his, what is, he hasn't officially said, I don't think, but I think it's pretty damn clear. This is going to be his last stand-up special ever, you know, unless something crazy happens. I'd like to that think is. that he wants to come back and he may, yeah. but I mean, when you have the Holy Trilogy, are you going to, are you going to just try to, to do what you've already done? You know, right. I think he's and probably on to better stuff. And he's so busy, obviously, you know, doing film stuff at this point. But that is what you get when you get 2016's Make Happy. It is, it, it, to me, if you look at this guy from words, 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 where he's, you know, anxious and excited and young to be out there. And then in 2013 with what? He's still young and anxious and excited to be out there, but he's conflicted. If 20, and then that means in my mind that 2016's Make Happy is a man who has come to peace with this whole thing that he had been thinking about over these last seven years or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And he's finally comfortable enough on stage to tell you the truth. And that's what I see this special as is him being honest for the first time with his audience. Well, not for the first time because he's honest in very subversive ways throughout his other specials, but vulnerably honest in a very uncensored way. And that is the end of the show. That end of the show for make happy. I've seen that thing 30, maybe 50 times, just like the last 15 minutes. It is unbelievable to watch. I I think that, you know, what you're describing and what I, I I actually saw this one live. I had the, I had the, uh, the immense honor to see this one live. Um, it wasn't, where'd you see it? I saw it in Seattle. I saw it at the, uh, was it the Moore? I think it was the Moore. Yeah, it was the Moore in Seattle. And I think the security, you know, that's that's, uh, the security in in who he was and what he was doing is what really just amplified through what he was doing. He had, you know, just, and I I don't want to use confidence because confidence doesn't seem like the right word, but he had the, you know, I'll, I'll use it, the security in what he was saying and what he was doing, the fact that, you know, he brings up the house lights, turns off the stage lights, and he sits there and he talks for a moment, you know? And as scripted or not that that was, right. it seemed extremely genuine and it seemed to come from a place that was so much less conflicted than the last time we saw him. And, you know, I mean, it ends with him playing us just oh, I'm glad it's just us or whatever, what he, you know, when he sets down the book and he plays that little ditty and walks out the door and then he, he you know, kisses a baby and walks out. And yeah. I, I Googled it. I, does he have a kid? I don't... No, he doesn't have a kid, but he's been I dating. You so. know who he's been dating since 2013? Well, I thought he was is, married to um, Allison. Is he married? What were you what were you gonna say? Because I at least the, the the research that I have is that he's been dating the woman who made uh, directed Hustlers, Hus- Lauren yeah. Scarf- Serafia or whatever her name is. Uh, Scarfalo or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Lauren, her, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're married. Okay, yeah, they're married. Um, I'll take your word for it. I I didn't it didn't see see seem to me that they were they were just together. But maybe I think if you Google his name, it says wife. On his little okay. Google thing. Because every girl who was ever in love with him was like, fuck, and just oh! doing a rage face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's six foot five. 
I just want to yeah, put that well, out there. I don't I'm want anybody. You know that. If somebody's made it this far and they're listening to us and they're like, "You haven't mentioned how tall he is yet." Well, you're welcome. Six foot five. I think he's six. I think so. You know, I'm gonna get off and I'm gonna look, and he's gonna be six six, and I'm gonna uh, die. But <laughs> you're gonna end your life. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I I got to see this one live and it was incredible. Uh, I remember I was blown away by um, the Pandaren song. Hear that subtle man. Oh, the country song, yeah, yeah. That's textbook pandering. And I remember when he did like the key change. It was just he nailed it. You know, he nailed what he was trying to do in in almost every aspect. I think. And um, it seems like he's at peace in this in this performance. It seems like there's a sense of contentness because he probably knows this is the last time I'm going to be doing this for a while. So I should just enjoy this instead of trying to get off stage as quickly as I can. He seemed so secure and so sure of what he was doing. It it didn't seem like we were watching a kid at all. No, it seemed like we were watching a veteran and we were, we Um, were. And, uh, you know, in the others, it seemed like he was bearing his soul and showing us, you know, this thing that he wrote. In this one, it seemed like he was like, check out this, like, you know, look if you want. It's badass. Right? I mean, it wasn't totally. even like, um, you know, I, I hope you like it. I mean, obviously it is because he's very humble. But it, it just seemed like a just a next level. So, um, Well, it seemed, I feel like, maybe this, like, sense of, I'm just going to say what I've wanted to say in the most open and honest way possible and I don't care if you agree with me or not, but I have to say this. It sort of just felt like he had this ultimate moment of catharsis off stage, so that when he came on stage, it was like, all right, here's what I got to say to you. And it's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. And when he actually, I think the most telling thing that he says in the special, which is very indicative of what piece of work he does next, but he says something to the effect of, and I'm not going to get it perfect. So this is a paraphrase. If you can live, if you can learn to live your life without an audience, yeah, your life will greatly improve. And he says that, and they literally in the special cut to a shot of the audience in between yeah. what he's saying. And I remember hearing that at the time, and then rewatching it for this, and being like, "How prophetic is that? Yeah. If you can learn to live your life without an audience, your life will greatly improve." Everyone logs on every day to have an audience. To, to just trying to get one. Everybody yes. wait. I mean, you know, we know tons of people who get on TikTok. I don't have I don't have TikTok downloaded on my phone, and I know I'm missing a ton of great content. But you know, I think that we're hardwired these days, and this is not like new. This is not like profound that I'm saying this. It's just you know, we it's the truth. I mean, we are hardwired to think that like if people aren't watching, it's not important and i think that we've kind of i mean since since we've been involved with with Bo, that we've seen you know from there to here uh, a huge influx in that and i think that you know it gave me chills this time it gave me chills that time but you know it's it's real now more than ever and i think what i feel now most at 23 that i haven't felt in the past is i don't you know, I've wanted to be an actor my whole life. I've wanted to be a, a filmmaker for a, a really big portion of it. But I don't know if I want fame. You know? Sure. N- not that I would get it. Not that I think that I would just, like, step out and be like, look, and everyone's going to love it. But, the you know, to get 
all yeah. those eyeballs. I remember I, I had a, a dinner at Chapman. You know, you have like those dinners with the, you with know, the, the people coming in and yeah, whatever. Yeah, people coming in. And I remember, uh, I don't remember the dean's name or the president who left with like the white hair. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember his name. But I remember him saying like, y'all are in the, you know, you're in the business of getting eyeballs. And I was already kind of feeling, you know, a certain intrepidation, maybe if that's the right word. I, I feel really iffy about my word choice right now but okay. um no one's I, gonna you know, roast just, you online no that would never happen no one roasts anybody <laughs> anymore <laughs> well i might get a couple of texts for, you know but uh i'd be interested to see if anybody wants to stay this far to listen to what i have to say <laughs> i know they'd stay to hear what you have to say but um uh but i think you know it's with with how they got famous on youtube people try that same model now and it doesn't work because there are so much content and there's so many content creators that Everyone's it's not it. it's not like oh they were found and now they're big it's like you get big on yourself by yourself and you don't make that much anymore right i mean no. or you or you can you can, you can blow the hell up um but with you know tiktok and all these different things people get famous overnight but what are they famous for you know, they're famous for a, a really short video where their mom farts or something, right? right? And then they just, and then all they try to do is they try to, you know, get that again. It's like a high. It's like what I used to chase uh, or, you know, I'm still chasing with those moments where I stepped out on stage and I felt the hot lights and I saw, you know, a couple glares of the whites of, of people's eyes or teeth. And that's your audience. You're like, wow, everybody is looking at me and they're paying attention and they love it. Or, or they don't, or they, but they have an opinion and I exist, you know, I exist because I'm, I'm being perceived and on such a large scale, I mean, they say with absolute power or absolute power corrupts, absolutely, you know, or power right. corrupts. And, and I think we see a lot of that in so many different facets or aspects of, of entertainment. But I think the audience also does that. It, it gives you an idea of who you are based on who they think you are. And sure. I think at this point we saw him in a place where he knew who he was and he was, and he was telling us and, Absolutely. Um, and that, and that was a really, uh, it's just a, such an incredible journey to go on with him because it, it isn't completely done. You know, no. the journey is not completely done. Cause then we got a movie, yeah, a movie that a movie. was, you know, was critically acclaimed that, you know, had a, a lot of drama in it, you know? And I, and like, you know, you've seen carnivore and you've seen, kind of my, what I'm into, I think yeah, the yeah. comedy, you know, is very little without that drama, without that, you know, what is light without darkness? You you can't see in complete light without shadows, right? Sure. You can't see in the darkness without a little bit of light, so uh, same kind of deal. But Can't see in the darkness without the world's biggest candle attached to your head walking through with a giant candle on your head. That's the yeah. quote, right? Well, they call me Candlehead. So. They call you, call you, uh, shut the hell up, head is what they call you. <laughs> mom, right? is that mom, mom? again? Mom, mom again? Yeah. Uh, but the only oh oh a little fart. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but the, the only other thing, the only other thing I think that is worth mentioning about Make Happy. Uh, first of all, you're 100 percent right. He, what you just said, I I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head with that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, there's also what he says is that they tell you to write what you know, and what I know is performing. And when he said that, it occurred to me, oh, you really can write whatever you want. You really can make 
whatever you want. He literally made an entire career of doing comedy about performing. And he tells us, everyone at the end, you guys perform every day. Everyone is performing all the time. And that really resonated with me, at least, when this came out, which was, what, 2016? So right as, uh, like, beginning of my college or whatever, Mm -hmm. thinking that, like, oh, there's a lot of people around me that I've never met before who I am just getting to know for the first time, and I don't even think I know them because they're just performing and I'm performing and I'm trying to fit in here and I'm trying to figure it out and I'm in a new place. So hearing that and knowing that I was going to be making movies at a film school going forward, I really could make movies about whatever I wanted to. If Bo Burnham could make three hour long comedy specials about the concept of performing in all its different light and glory. So it's also something I think that's worth mentioning because then we get the movie. We get the turn that I think a lot of people thought he was capable of doing, but I don't know if we all thought would be the next move. And in 2018, we get Eighth Grade, directed and written by Bo Burnham. What what were you thinking going into this as such a big, big Bo Burnham fan? What were your expectations going into this? I knew that it was going to subvert ex- my expectations a little bit, but I knew that it was going to be such a big part of what he talks about and what we were just talking about is – you know, they think they know you, you know, and, but regardless of that, you still think you kind of know them a little bit, you know, because you, you know, you love these entertainers, you love these people in your life. And I felt like it was only right. And it was only organic for his brand to make something that is funny because it's like uncomfortable or it's, or it's, you know, I think without a doubt, he made the most slice of life, esque you know not like you know neorealism you know not like we're watching just life obviously because it is edited it's you know it's a movie it's manipulated but the way that they showed the youth i think even us even you know far out of high school far out out of middle school we saw the truths the universal truths in that but also the cultural truths and the fact that he was able to hit that so hard on the head to get those like cultural things, you know, like those kids aren't making Facebooks, you know, the fact like, and you know, and that kind of thing where when we were in that position, we were, but we still, there's like that, that progression, that natural progression with them that you can totally see. I mean, if you have any little, you know, cousins or nephews or, you know, uh, in-laws or whatever, whatever you want to call them. If you have kids in your life, you, you've seen that they are a, a different breed now, but they, there are, they're growing up in the same age that we kind of uh, pioneered, right? I mean, we're sure you and I are in that weird spot where we're not like dinosaurs and we're not, you know, babies. Yeah, exactly. We're not dinosaurs. We're somewhere we're in between. <laughs> we're the cool guys. We're somewhere in between yeah. a dinosaur and a baby, whatever that is. I don't know. Yeah, uh, somewhere in between. But uh, I don't know. I I think it was in large part what I was expecting because I was expecting something really new um, with a really. Um, you know, really strong voice and purpose and, and a really, you know, palpable feeling of, of heart. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say it's like one of my f- absolute favorite movies, but I respect it so much. Sure. Um, Absolutely. The performances, the fact that they, that he could make a, a drama out of the things in our lives that what we, we no longer think about or we do, but we think about them, you know, as so silly, like, taking off your shirt and going to a pool party. I 
hated going to a pool party. I didn't go to a lot of pool parties because I was so right. self-conscious and uncomfortable. Sure. You know? And the fact that he made a movie that it was, it was in such large part the, the dramatic driving force were those little moments that we all have felt um, was so bow. You know, or at least the bow that, that I have come to know, which is not the man, but the the persona. Um, my dog just walked in the dog door into this closed room, and she's just staring at the door. I heard something happen. I was like, damn, Ash, let's go. Let's go. What are you flipping around over there? Does she want to talk on the – does she want to say something on the pod? She only speaks in cursive. It's really hard to understand. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. maybe for a different episode. Maybe. Okay, is it possible to book your book that dog for another episode? Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you've got the money, or uh-huh. or the I, treats. I don't. Or, yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> but I don't, have um, the, I don't have the money or the treats. I'm just gonna <laughs> say that right now. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She's a bitch anyway. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. Probably. I'm really probably sorry. literally. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. So sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Apologize. No worries. No. No one's. No one's actually. Uh, pissed at you. I'm actually just very upset and disappointed. Um, so the internet is the quasi villain in this movie in yeah. a very strange way. You know, obviously it's a you know it's a man against self type story mm-hmm. of ultimately feeling comfortable enough in your own skin. But the way that the internet is made out to be a character in this movie is so fascinating because you have a young person interacting with this thing that is so ubiquitous in our daily lives and only becomes more and more ubiquitous in your, our daily lives. I don't know about you, but I literally have had to put screen time on for the first time in my entire life during these pandemic quarantine days because I am just if I if I give myself the leash to go on Twitter for, you know, 4 hours a day, I will because I want to connect with people. And that's mm-hmm. the scary thing is that I don't like myself when I'm on there. I feel yeah. like garbage when I'm on those sites. But right now, especially, that's how I feel like I'm connecting to people because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a million miles away from all my friends. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that this that this movie, Eighth Grade, doesn't capture the pandemic, obviously, but it captures that feeling of wanting to connect and not knowing how and feeling like garbage when you're online and feeling mediocre against everyone else and yardsticking, which are things that coming-of-age movies have been talking about for so long, but it did it in this view of the internet, which was so fresh and refreshing it was just so cool to see where your heart sinks not at the friend dying right but at this right. this the phone screen cracking yes you know i it, it is it's almost orwellian you know it's almost like dystopian that we're like seeing these young people so, like so attached to their screens you know i mean you you talk about like 1985 or all these different things that are extremely topical right now. They've always been topical, but you know, more so right now. I think now that we're we're all secluded and indoors, and you know, uh, sitting in a room. Depending on what name I say, I can summon different, um, you know, virtual assistants. You know, if right. I'm sitting in the kitchen, I could say Siri or Google, and both of them are listening and ready to do something. Um, yeah. And we invite them into our home, and the fact that we're seeing this timeless tale. Of childhood, or at least timeless to us. I I'm, I can't speak for my parents because they're probably sure. looking at it like, "What the fuck are these kids doing?" Yeah, um, exactly. But it, it is such a uh, an easily accessible movie or uh, kind of th- theme. But but you're right. I I, I, ha- 
hadn't really thought of it in those terms that, that with the internet, um, exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, harrowing, right? It's kind of, it is harrowing. It's, it is something that is so ever present and something that I guess doesn't get a lot of light shown on it because it feels very new in the cultural consciousness, even though it is so a part of our everyday life. Uh, I don't know about you, but my like MVP for this movie, even though obviously Elsie Fisher is carrying the movie, you know, she's the star. My heart aches for the dad, the dad in this movie. I think I will never fail to cry in the scene where they are burning her time capsule. Yes. I lit- I was bawling watching this yesterday and prep yeah. for this for prep for this conversation. Just broke my heart. This is a first time director and writer doing this, Ash. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. mind blowing. But it's well, not a, you know not a first time right. You know what I mean? Like right. Like those ten thousand hours that he's gotten in. I mean, it's got to be close. This man yes uh, is is an incredible writer. But the you know screenwriter absolutely like you know first time filmmaker, the first time creative voice behind a picture. Yeah, you know, I think if done well, if somebody has a you know a strong vision and their team upholds that vision, it can either be really fucking weird, and that's exactly what they were going for, and it's not accessible, or you know, we you know, I'm not sure that you'd call him an artur, right? But it's obviously a very strong creative force, and he is perpetrating, right? The yeah. fact that he was able to conjure these strong emotions. I mean, I'm a sucker for anything dad related. I have a fantastic relationship with my father, but I don't know what it is in movies. I cried at Chicken Little. Oh, I mean, I, okay. I'm not even joking. I cried at Chicken Little when he when he's sitting in the back seat and he's like talking about his baseball game and he's like, "I'm gonna get a touchdown," and his dad just looks looks away, all disappointed. I'm like, oh, he's disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, you know, it just it really pulls your heartstrings, but it's so organic it's so you know it's the slice of life you know term keeps coming to my head um i don't want a a film nerd yelling at me that i'm wrong but uh well you're wrong okay oh shit there's one right here um (laughs) but uh i i forgot to say this at the time but i need to say it you know he's he's always been aware of what movies can do and what movies specifically can do as evidenced by one of my favorite jokes of all time that I will never be able to tell, which is, he says, I got a joke about uh, film editors. Film editors are so, and then it cuts. And right. you don't hear that joke. And I've, I've heard that in person. He just stops right there and he's like, this isn't for you. Let's move on. And he just goes, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what he said, but, uh, you know, the fact that the audience doesn't get that, but he, you know, he is very aware of what, um, you know, the the medium uh brings to the table so i think he's always he's a very intelligent man as we've said uh but i think his i think he's probably acutely aware when he's doing the his shows on stage what he i'm sure he had other ideas totally that he wasn't able to execute in that medium so totally um you know one of the things i think is uh most important for a director and what i i think the most important thing i learned in film school is when to say uh, yes to people. Like when, when to take other people's ideas and past that, when to see, you know, I met a guy, he said he didn't watch movies because he didn't want to copy them. He, he was a, a, an aspiring director who said he didn't watch any m- movies because he didn't want to copy them. 
That's like saying you wanted to be an a uh, 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 you wanted to write a book, you want to be an author, but you don't know the like the language. It's right. ridiculous. You can't use a simile if you don't know what the fuck it is, right? I mean, it's right. it's a literacy that that you're you know starving yourself of. It's ridiculous. And the ability to see something that that may that gives you a strong emotional reaction and use that in terms of of what you're trying to do is um that that's masterful i mean you you talk about like scorsese and all these people they'll tell you some of the your favorite shots or your favorite you know filmic moments of theirs are actually someone else's that they love right, they and just because stole they it. exactly well you know but but that kind of illusion um allusion uh is it's like using you know the same kind of like literary device to to invoke that feeling in a new sense to get where you're trying to go. So I think that um, he's got to be the same. You know, he's a a writer, he's a performer, and I'm sure that he uh, ingested a lot of material that kind of gave him a good idea of what he wished he could make people feel, but he was limited by his medium. So I, I imagine that when given the opportunity to to make this um, kind of a, a project, you know, with a visual and permanent medium, um, but with control over more aspects. I, I imagine that that would be pretty satisfying for, for such a naturally creative guy. Absolutely. And you're 100% right. The medium of theater allows you to do certain things that you can't do in film or wouldn't work as good in film and vice versa. The medium of film allows you to do things that really would be a lot less effective on stage. So uh, the man, the, the master of many domains, um, is there anything else you want to say about eighth grade or anything else you want to say about Bo Burnham before we wrap this show up and say goodbye to the folks? Uh, you know, I think Bo Burnham would want everybody who made it this far to remember to vote. Um, <laughs> okay. And how <laughs> yeah. important uh, this November is going to be for everybody. So I, I would be remiss if I, you know, I don't want to preach, but I need everybody to know how important it is to uh, get out and vote. So um, register, do what you can, you know. And, you and let me tell you, I think Bo would have my back on that. So <laughs> I sure hope so. I <laughs> hope Bo's voting in November. Uh, I hope that he uh, figures out how to get that done. Uh, <laughs> Ash, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I really appreciate thank your you time. Thank you so much for having me. Of I hope course. I didn't talk too much, but yeah, <laughs> knuckles right there. Hey, Cowbunga. thanks. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we say adios for, for, uh, for real? Really excited uh, to share Carnivore with everybody. Um, that uh, That's a film that I wrote and directed um, starring my, my good friend Jacob Voss. He absolutely nailed it. Um, had some really, really great help. Uh, sound design, Griffin Fisher. Um, you know, shot by Alex Frasillo. Uh, original music by Hunter J. Pierce. Um, you know, I'm obviously forgetting people, but uh, uh, oh, uh, some visual effects and uh, design work by um, the great Henry Chastain. Um, I'm really, really excited after a festival run to show this with everybody. So um, if you're interested, I hope you stay interested. Uh, and. If uh, if you want to talk, you want to be friends, if you want to make something, I'm an actor, you can check out my stuff and uh, 
just uh, always meet new people and try to be the best person possible, right? I'm glad I yeah, met maybe. you, Noah. I'm glad uh, you've made me a better person. Just, just from knowing I don't know you. about that. I, I don't do. know about that. But I I'll, I'll take, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, can what people DM you? Yeah. Can people DM you for the link? Sure, DM me. Well, uh, maybe, maybe not for the link just yet. Okay. Um, I gotta, I gotta give the donors, um, their viewing first, but soon, soon. Okay. So I'll, I'll right. keep everybody updated. Okay. Keep everybody updated in the loop. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with this show, you can follow us on Instagram. My favorite underscore podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at my faith pod. You can follow my other podcast and listen to that. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. I don't know. Oh yeah. Okay. So when this comes out, we will be talking about this coming Monday. We will be talking about stranger than fiction uh, wow. with Will Ferrell. And we'll be talking about do Hollywood by the lemon twigs, which is a great album. So you can follow that. We got a great back catalog on that. Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. Whatever. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Who cares? Uh, Ash Harold, everybody. Thank you very much, Ash. Uh, no we will, Thank you so much for having me. We will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.